So yes, Pastor Tim asked me to do a part two from my message that was in January, which was just trying to um, just share the vision of children's ministry and what children's church looks like and what it doesn't look like. And so he wanted more of a, what do we do in the homes and how do we do, how do we work with children without legalism and manipulation and force and things like that? So that's kind of where I'm headed. Um, I can't just start with the things that I've learned to do because it all starts with God. And so I want to just give you a little bit of what I see in the Bible as our, our um, blueprint of how to work with children. And then I'll go into some of the more practical things that I've tried and things that have worked and haven't worked. I had a nice meeting with all five of my children this past week. So I could, because you forget, like, you know, one's 18 now, and you're like, well, what did you think when you were four, and we did this? And so they all had their little snippets of, Mom, this was really good. Mom, this really was bad. I don't know why you did that. So I got to have some feedback with them, so I'm going to try to express some of that at the end. So um, in Genesis 18, 19, it says, For I have chosen him, and him is Abraham. I have chosen Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So God chose a man and made a covenant, but it's also with his children. And the one thing that I love in the Bible is sometimes there's curses and things released because of the sins of fathers and things. And it says to like two or three generations. But if you've noticed, when God says that his loving kindness and his mercy, it's to a thousand generations. It far trumps those two or three generations that a curse might be held on. God is a father who is loving and gracious. And he poured that out into Abraham and wanted to see that grow in Abraham's family. So there's an Old Testament pattern for nurturing children. Okay, there was no teachers. There weren't people just pulled out and said, you're a teacher. You're going to teach this school. We're going to have this little Jewish school today. No, they didn't have that. There was no individual set aside to teach the young in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic time period. It was community. The ideal community is what nurtured children in the, in the, um, with the Israelis, Israelites, I'll say. Okay, so it's not just the individual. God also formed a calendar. Like, we don't use the Jewish calendar, but if you use a Hebrew calendar, you're reminded of God all the time. You're reminded of God all the time because he created it. He made it. Ours is made after false gods. Really, it's the Greek standard, and then you get Mars and all of those different things. But he had... Each cycle in the calendar affirms who God was and who God is. It was a remembrance. The Sabbath was made, it said God made the Sabbath for himself. He releases us from work so that we can spend time talking with each other and we can worship him. He releases us from work. So the Sabbath was made to remind us of who he is. It also affirms and reminds people he's the creator God. Because we do what we see our Father in heaven do, and he rested on the seventh day. So we do what he did. So everything in the Jewish calendar nurtured God. There's reoccurring festivals, remembering significant events. There's Passover. 
So even if you weren't in Egypt during the first Passover, you knew the story. You knew the story. You did it every single year. And kids grew up with it. They learned the symbolism. They learned the symbolism. They might not get it when they're two years old. They might not get it when they're four years old. But each year when Passover happened, they'd get a little more. They'd get a little more. And they'd get a little more. And one day, they would know what it means for the angel of death to pass over them. They would get it. Because they've had it ever, over and over. Pentecost. They would get Pentecost. They would get to know what it meant to be fully the Holy Spirit poured out upon you. They celebrated it. Day of atonement, tabernacles, forgiveness. Everything in the Jewish calendar just points to God. It points to worship. It points to knowing him in a deeper level. Reminders, it reminded each generation that didn't see those things happen. Because at a time, these people saw things. There were people that actually walked through the dry Red Sea. You know, that really did happen. You either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. So there's people that walk through and we hear, we see the stories in, in the wilderness. There's a generation that's just one generation aside who doesn't have the faith or the belief. And their parents are the ones that walked on dry land through the Red Sea. One generation can forget if you're not reminded, if you're not nurturing who God is and what he's done for you. Um, so my challenge to us as families is to think of traditions, to think of things, not as a legal thing to do, but like we have Easter coming up. We have Palm Sunday. Why do we have Palm Sunday? Why do we cry Hosanna? Why did, why did Jesus come on a donkey? You know, these, these are opportunities to talk to our children about who God is, who he is, not just who he was, but who he is now. And who he is to us and who he's going to be. Because you know what? He's going to be riding a horse when he comes back the second time. You can talk the difference about riding a donkey coming in peace. He came in peace as a king the first time and coming in on a horse with a fiery sword out of his mouth and fire in his eyes. He's coming back different the second time. These are things you can talk about. Palm Sunday. You can use resurrection eggs. I mean, there's so many different things. You, you'd make your life a way to express and to breathe God. You have Easter, you have Christmas, you have birthdays. One thing we try to do on birthdays is I challenge my kids, whoever's birthday it is, I, we pray and we pray for them, but I challenge every one of us to come up with a prophetic word for that birthday person because it challenges us to do prophecy and to do things in a family unit, in our safe zone. You know, it should be safe to practice God things at home. It should be safe to practice God things in this building. Okay? This, this is our family. This is our extended family. These are our brothers and sisters. These are our moms and dads. So you take things. You take anniversaries. You take important dates. You take a time where somebody was healed or they had this tragic surgery or experience, but God brought them through. You take those times and you remember them. Look what God did. You might have to write them down. You might have to create something, a piece of artwork, or do something that you can hang on a wall to remind you. There's things that you can do to build in these remembrances, just like the Israelites did. You know, when they went through the Jordan, they ended up having the 12 stones to represent each tribe. And each generation could go to that place in Jordan and say, 
God performed a miracle here. He helped them take the land. He let them walk on dry land again. He brought them in and they saw those stones and they remembered what God did. You might have to build something in your home. And and we are trying to build an altar. That's what I'm after. We're building an altar in our home because altars in the Bible are places where there's an open heaven. God is able to access us because we've created space for him. And that's what we want to do in our homes. Okay, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, or chapter 6, 5 and 9, it says, um, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I have given you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them around your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then again in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21, it says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord has sworn to your ancestors. So God is saying daily. Sorry, I get nervous and dry mouth and everything all at the same time. So, um... In one translation, it says to impress upon your children the words. And so this was an interesting conversation I had with my kids this past week. Because one of the things that they all didn't like is the times when they were younger and I forced them to pray out loud. Well, I love to pray. And God has called me to be an intercessor. So I think it's just one of those things where I'm just bent to make people pray. I'm always like, no, you got to do this. You got to do this. And... One thing is we do have to impress upon our kids. So that's something where you have to talk to the Lord. It's a relationship. You have to know, okay, God, when am I impressing upon them, pushing them a little bit, molding them a little bit, shaping them a little bit to pounding them and being forceful and legalistic and like, you're not good enough if you don't do this, or how can you be a Christian, or how can you say God's in your heart if you can't pray out loud? Like, you have to watch what you're saying, what comes out of your mouth, and you need to know that God... When God is breathing upon you and breathing something into your home, he's going to allow things to happen. And he's gentle. He's gentle. Now, there are times he comes in like a rushing wind, and you go with those moments. You know, but for the most part, God is very gentle. Holy Spirit is very gentle. And so we have to do, impressing is not pounding. So impressing is, is pushing a little bit, maybe molding a little bit, squeezing a little bit, trying to help them. Because you don't want your kids to end up never wanting to pray out loud. You don't want them to never have tried it at home. Because if most of the time, if kids are not reading their Bible at home, if they're not going to be worshiping at home, if they're not um, having devotions, if they're not spending time with God, if God is not talked about at home, it's going to be much harder for them to do that in the, in the outside world. Okay, they've got to be doing stuff in the home. The home is a place, it's a greenhouse. It's a place where you can nurture things. It's a place where you as a parent and a grandparent, uncle, aunt, you have authority. You have authority to bring God's presence into your house. And you have an authority to push darkness outside of your house. So you can create a space, you can create an atmosphere that, that God can move. 
And then you do as much impressing as you can, listening to the Holy Spirit, not doing your own thing your own way. Like sometimes I want my kids to be just like me or to not be like me at all in certain things. And I have to, I have to work with God and letting them be who God created them to be. Okay, so let me get back on track. Okay, so like I said, in, in Deuteronomy 11.5, it said, um, your children didn't see how the Lord cared for you in the wilderness until you arrived here. So there's children that have not tasted and seen what their parents have experienced. Okay? What one generation has known through personal experience with God must somehow be communicated to a new generation that lacks those experiences. Faith must be communicated. The new generation must come to know, love, and obey God as their parents do. Okay, so there is a point in, in childhood where they might not have experiences. They might not even be aware. They probably have had experiences because God's with us all the time. And there's so many things he does for us that we don't even know because we're so unaware at times. But there are things where they don't have experience, but you can start exposing them to experience. You can share your stories. You can have other people come in and share their stories. Um, one time, Menno came downstairs to share his story about when he was saved from drowning and things. And the kids will still talk about that, how somebody showed up at the right time and just saw a little bit of flesh and pulled him out and saved him. That's something that impressed upon him that God saw him and that God knew he was there. And he has that experience And I didn't have that experience, but he did, but he shared it with me. And I'm like, wow, God's so amazing. And he shared that story with the kids. The kids are like, wow, that's amazing. God watched out for Mr. Menno. So we we open our mouth. We share our stories. Okay, we have to model things in daily life. Okay, the the biggest way to um, escape legalism and manipulation, I think, is daily living. Because if you make this just about Sunday, or just about church, or just when certain people are around, you are creating a religious spirit, you are creating legalism, and you are not allowing freedom. You know, your kids might embarrass the who knows what out of you. You know, I'm a pastor's daughter, And, you know, there's more challenges when you're the pastor's kids sometimes and your parents put some things on you sometimes. And, I mean, they do the best they can, but they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed. But you know what? Your kids are going to embarrass you. You just got to get over it. You got to let them grow. You have got to let them grow. You've got to nurture things. That's when you start impressing. Okay, that might not have been the right time to say that. Okay, you know, it's, it's, it gives you opportunity to talk about God. It gives you opportunity about how to do things differently the next time. So if you don't react in anger, you don't react out of pride, you don't react out of your reputation, but you respond to the moment, you respond to what God, how God can use that moment, it becomes a teachable moment. It becomes a place of remembrance. It becomes a place where God can breathe upon things. Okay, and I don't want any condemnation. I have yelled at my kids. I have been, there are times I've literally feel like I can see myself and I'm like, boy, she's a monster. Like literally, I am not the perfect mom. I have not done everything right. I have not done everything right. And you know what? 
It's so good that I don't do everything right because it pushes my kids to need God. I'm not perfect. There's no perfect parent. God's the perfect parent. He has everything our kids need. He will fill in the gaps. He will fill in the holes. He brings down the mountains and raises up the valleys. That's who we put our hope in. Not our teaching skills. Not what we can do, but what God can do. Okay. I feel like we need to move to a Malachi 4, 6 mandate where there's a turning of the hearts from the children to the father and father to the children. So there needs to be a turning. Our world has gotten so fast-paced. So fast-paced. There's so many of us that both parents have to work. Kids are going to school. Kids are in sports. Kids have to be academically up here. If you want to get scholarships, go to college because who can afford college, especially if you have five kids or ten kids or two kids. It's expensive. So you're, you're living in this world but then trying not to live in this world. Okay? There's that tension. We have that tension. But every day we need to take opportunity to allow God's kingdom, God's world. That's more real than this. That's what's going to last. The lasting fruit is everything eternal. If it can't go to heaven with you, if it can't be in you when you get called home to heaven, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So you have to make choices based on that. So I believe we need a a Malachi 4-6 mandate, a turning of our hearts. And we also need to move to a Joel 2 content. And I just want to read Joel 2. Um... People don't like Joel 2 a lot because it kind of reminds them of the book of Revelations because that's kind of what it's a picture of. But um, it says in verse 12, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now, return to me while there is time. Give me your hearts, come with fasting, weeping, mourning. Don't tear your clothes in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows, perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room and the temple. There needs to be a time where, where we let our children mourn, where we let our children fast. And that might look different than an adult fasting. There's times for weeping. There's times for mourning. And we have to give our children opportunity to do those things. In in the Old Testament, a lot of times um, certain entities were exempt. Like if you just got married, you're the bridegroom and the bride, you didn't have to go to a call of assembly. Because it's like they're on their honeymoon. They don't have to fast today. Let them enjoy their thing. But there are times where you're like, no, we need everyone. All hands on deck. Even nursing babies. That's intense. So I feel like we need to move to the content of Joel 2 in our lifestyle. Okay? Christianity, normal Christianity involves mourning. It involves fasting. It involves walking the hard road. The gospel is so mind-blowing. It's so simple, yet seems so challenging at times. But yet it's so simple. But yet it seems so hard. But yet it's so simple. That's the nature of this kingdom because... The kingdom of heaven is so much different than the kingdom of earth. And we get wrapped up in the kingdom of earth that we forget how to operate in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? 
And we also need to move to a Daniel 9 lifestyle. I'm not going to read Daniel 9, but Daniel 9 talks about Daniel. He just starts pouring out petition to God. He starts pouring out and he starts reminding God who he is. Because why? Can you remind somebody who they are if you don't know who they are? No. How can you talk to God if you don't know who he is? How can you go deeper with him if you don't know that he's gracious, that he hears your voice, that he's listening, he's got his ear stooped over his throne, waiting, waiting for his child to call out to him, waiting for his child just to say, I love you, waiting for his child just to say, I want to sit with you. He loves it. But Daniel knew that the Lord is great, that he's awesome. He keeps his covenant of love. He's righteous, merciful, forgiving. He's good. He hears me. He loves me. He forgives me. He watches me. He knows me. He's faithful. Because he had that confidence, that rooting and grounding of who God is, he knew him personally. He's able to cry out. And when you know somebody loves you with um, an everlasting love, you can say whatever you want. And know you're not going to get in trouble or not walk in fear. You're going to be okay to cry out to God in in the good times and the bad times and know that he hears you and know that he loves you and know that he loves your voice. He loves when you talk to him. And he loves when you talk to him out loud so your children hear you talk to him. Don't think, who cares if they think you're crazy talking at the kitchen sink, doing the dishes, talking to the Lord. Do it. You're building relationship with God and you're allowing them to see that this is a relationship that's okay to have in the midst of your day. I don't know any mom who doesn't talk to herself. I don't. I know I do. And usually I try to, if I get in that little bit of really just talking to myself, be like, okay, this is bad. How about we bring it to talking to the Lord? It's so much better. Okay. Um, parents and teachers must be responsive to God. Okay, it's very hard being a parent. It's very hard training children. It's very hard being married and training children. Okay, we all have our own things. We all have our own strong wills. We all have our own bents. It's very difficult, so we have to be responsive to what God's doing. We have to have relationship with him. When we have relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, then we can have relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our friends, with our co-workers. We have to have the first commandment in place in order to have the second commandment flow. Okay? Ideal instruction is never isolated from life experience. Okay? Who wants to be a lab rat in a little science bubble and be like, okay, this is God. Here's the bubble. See what he did? He cre-. No. You take them outside and you show them creation. Look at what God did. He just spoke and this came into existence. Isn't that amazing? How did he even come up with giraffe? Boom. Long neck. Long tongue. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's amazing. These are, we have so much, you can just, Take every day something about creation to talk to your children about and never get bored and never run out of things to talk about. Okay? There, we have to use experience. When they fall down, if they have a headache, pray for them. Pray for healing first. 
Talk to them about how God loves them, how God takes care of them. If there's a lot of blood, can you imagine the blood that Jesus shed on the cross? This is just a little scratch compared to that. You use experience. You use daily living. You use everything that God's taking you through throughout the day to bring it back to him. To bring God into the picture. Because he's there. But he's that gentleman again who just stands there and waits for you to invite him in. Waits for you to be aware of him. Okay, um, teaching, teaching and instruction should be alive. It's not fun. I mean, if you've been to college or even maybe in high school, you have that one professor that just drones on in a monotone voice and reads from the book, and you're like, oh, my goodness, i got to get through this class. I can't wait to get my cup of coffee. Okay, if that's how you're parenting, what are your kids going to do? They're going to be like, there they go then, talking about God in that certain kind of voice. And I'm just going to tune it out. I can't wait until I'm old enough to get my own coffee. (laughs) I love coffee. So I have to bring coffee into the world here. Okay. It has to be something lived. Like I know for myself, when I'm asked to teach or speak somewhere, if it's something that I don't have any life on, that I don't have much experience with, it's very, very hard for me to talk about it. And I feel like I'm boring. I feel like, okay, I don't know how this is going to come out. And sometimes God is just so gracious and he'll breathe on it and blow on it and somebody will get something out of it. But when it's something you're passionate about, it's something you've experienced, if you've been healed, you are not going to be afraid to go up to somebody and pray for healing. If you have received a prophetic word that you know is from God or you've given one and seen how it impacted a life, you are going to believe that God speaks to you and that you hear his voice and that he's concerned about every little detail of your life and every little detail about your life. Because he loves you, Gloria. And so he, that is how you use experience. You build things. And that's where you teach from. Don't teach on the things that you don't know yet. Ask God to bring in somebody. That's community. Hey, I know Tammy's really good at such and such. Maybe I can have her share with my daughters about such and such because I don't have experience with that. I mean, even hard things like um, abuse and different things. Like if there's things your kids are going through and you can't relate to, there's somebody in the church that can relate to it. There's somebody in your sphere. There's somebody in your community. There's somebody in your family that can help you. But we have to talk to each other. We have to have relationship with each other. Okay, we need to help them build capacity. I talked about this the last time. You know, it's just like that nursing baby has that tiny little stomach when they're first born. And they have to eat all the time because they can only hold so much milk. But eventually, you get like, oh, I got three hours of sleep last night all in a row because their stomach grew. And they could eat a little bit more and you could get a little bit more sleep. Okay, moms understand that really well. Um, And that's what we're doing. We're stretching our children's capacity. We're giving them opportunity to grow in things. You have to give them opportunity to grow. And even if it's in your own home, there's things like something I've gotten to be conscious of. And again, I am an intercessor, so it's my bent. So this does not mean you have to do this. But if I see a police officer has somebody pulled over, I'm like, Lord, I pray that you bless that person that's getting pulled over. I ask that if they're doing something wrong, that you would convict them. And 
and if there's ambulances and fire trucks, we pray for safety. We pray for salvation. We're like, Lord, if they don't know you, let this be the time where they know you. So we, we use in the car time of seeing ambulances and sirens. When we lived in Kansas City, we heard gunfire all the time. When, I first, when we first moved there, I kept saying to my husband, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of firecrackers they set off here. And he goes, Deborah, those are not firecrackers. Those are live bullets. And if you hear them often, you should probably get the kids in the house. I'm like, oh, okay. That's a country girl moving to the city. I had no idea they were gunfire. So, so then we learned. We learned to pray differently in Kansas City. And you do that. You ask God for highlights. You ask God for triggers. You ask God to bring things to your remembrance so you can help your kids grow in those things. Okay, we want to build history with our children. We want to take every opportunity. If they've been bullied at school or if they're going through medical things, I just think of Mariah, the testimony that Mariah is, that she has gone through so much medical things, but she's such a strong girl, and she's so willing to pray for people. And I know that there's nurses and doctors that have been impacted by her life because she, she breathes God. She's a child that breathes God. So you take those opportunities. No, do we want Mariah suffering? No. Are we contending for her healing? Yes. We continue to pray for Mariah's full healing. We continue to pray for Katie. We continue to pray for Carolyn. We continue to pray. We continue to believe. We continue to have faith. We stir each other up. We stir each other up. We stir up our kids. If your faith is waning, what is your kid's faith going to do? Okay, now it's not all dependent on you. I always have to flip the coin here because I don't want to be all like Eeyore, you know, because God can do anything. God can take broken parents and some kid can have this huge amount of faith and can do amazing things with or without their parents. Okay, we have to take opportunity in our daily living to enlarge their capacity, helping them have experiences. Sometimes that might involve seeing them get hurt. It might involve them making a bad choice. And again, we cannot, we have to try not to react. Reactions are physical, they're flesh. Response is from relationship. Response is hearing, taking that step back and being, you know what? If I walk in that room right now, that monster mom's going to let loose. So maybe I better put myself in timeout for 10 minutes before I walk in the room to see what's going on. And sometimes you have to do that. Now, do I do that successfully all the time? No, I do not. I try. I've gotten better. My kids will tell you I've gotten better. They remember the, the angry mom they used to have. Um, those things happen. We want to create memorials to remind children of God. So we want to create those. So you ask God, how do we create those things in our home? We all have different homes. We all have different dynamics. We all have different things going on. This is not a cookie-cutter formula. This is not everybody's got to look the same. God made us all different for a very good reason. Okay, we all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. So that's so we can help each other. Okay? Um, Another key component, I think, to building an altar at home is worship. And worship does not have to look like what it did up here, like I've said before. It can look like this. If you, like, there's times with my kids, they all have instruments, like Monique plays the guitar, sometimes she writes songs, Alex plays the banjo, which he doesn't like you to know because he never wants to get asked to play it in front of people, but he's actually pretty good on it. 
but they play instruments. Caitlin plays the violin. So sometimes I'm like, let's just have a jam fest. And Monique will even print out words to songs so everybody knows the words. So we're not all fumbling around trying to sing the song. And we will have times of worship where the kids are just playing on their instruments and we're singing. Sometimes it's just them playing on their instruments. Now, if you don't have musically inclined children or you don't have that, that's okay. You can put in a CD. You can sing a cappella. You might like doing that. You might want a YouTube video. You might want a video, a DVD, where you see the band and you see them worshiping. That might be something that inspires your kids. You might want to put in ones that have kids in it. See, like, those kids are dancing. You can dance. Sorry. Okay. Um, We want infusion. We want infusion. We want to be immersed in God. If we're immersed in God and we're living and breathing that, actively pursuing him, that's just going to come out in our house. There's no way to stop it. It's that bubbling brook, that life-flowing river that comes out, and our kids will taste of it and eat of it, and they'll drink of it, and eventually they'll like it. Hopefully, they will. Okay, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think, I think Malachi 4.6 is very powerful because I feel like family, God created family. He created family. He created relationship. He calls himself father, okay, from the foundations of the world. He calls himself father. He made family. He, I think family is his secret weapon to be unleashed on earth. I think if you have a family and you have, you take all this church right here, just one church building, and each family that's represented, and they're hard after God, and they're breathing God, and they're building altars in their home, and they're allowing worship to be released, and they're allowing their kids to grow, and they're allowing their kids to fail and grow, and they're allowing experience, and they're allowing testimony to happen, you're going to have kids that come to church excited. You're going to have small groups where kids are like, hey, can I come? I want to be a part of this. You're going to have kids that want to be up on stage and do worship because they know how to jam on an instrument and they love to worship God. You're going to have those opportunities where those things come out. And you're going to have powerful churches which lead to powerful regions. Can you imagine Delaware, you know, after living in Delaware for like 15 years, moving to Kansas for three and a half years, when we moved back, I could feel the heaviness and the darkness over Delaware much more than when I first moved. And it really made me come back kicking and screaming a little bit. Because I'm like, Lord, you're taking me out of my greenhouse and putting me in the desert. That's what it felt like. No offense to any Delawareans. It's not you. It's the atmosphere. It's the region. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? There's principalities that hover over this area. But you have powerful families that start transforming and making powerful churches and powerful civil leaders and different things. You're going to have a region changed. You're going to have a shift in the atmosphere over Delaware, over the eastern shore, over the east coast. The east coast is a hard area in the United States. God speaking, it is a hard area. And then where I'm from, upstate New York, phew, you go to New England and upstate New York, it's even harder than here. There's much to be changed in this area, and it comes from individuals. Individuals become strong families, and strong families become strong churches. We are the bride. 
If we're strong, each one of us individually becomes strong and rooted in Christ, grounded in his love, knowing who he is, developing that in our children, we become a strong family. We become a strong community. Okay, um, okay now I'm going to just shift gears. I'm running out of time again. To some practicalities. A big thing is slow down. Slow down. You have to carve out time. You have to carve out time for this. And I know we all have busy schedules. You have to carve out time. You have to make space. Now again, this is a slippery slope that can cause to legalism and guilt and condemnation. Don't go there. Okay? You ask God. What time is best for our family to meet? It might be once a week. You building an altar in your home, you meet once a week powerfully as a family is going to shift things in your home. It's going to shift things in your children's life and their sphere of influence, and it'll shift this church. It doesn't have to be every day you coming as a family. Now, you're still trying to impress upon them to have a daily walk with God, that they start having their own devotional time or their own prayer time. You know, it's not just when family comes together, just like Sunday should not be just about Sunday. This should not be where we get our Jesus fill. This should be where we're pouring out because we've had so much Jesus that I can't wait to tell somebody the prophetic word I got them. Or I can't wait to go pray for that person that needs help. Or I can't wait to raise my arms and worship the mighty king and the mighty God that we serve. That's what Sunday's about. It's coming together and building each other up and stirring each other up again to run that race again for the week, for the next six days. So that's what we want for our kids. So we have to slow down. We have to give ourselves plenty of time. And again, it's a capacity thing. It depends on the age of your children. It depends where you are. It depends what you've tried, what you haven't tried. It might be 10 minutes is all your family can do to build an altar. 10 minutes a week. It's enough. It's a start. You start is way better than you never trying. Starting something. And I tell you what, when you start hungering and thirsting and you taste and see that the Lord is good and you taste and see that he does show up in your 10 minutes, eventually, next thing you know, I remember one time I picked out this song and it was a song about I plead the blood of Jesus over the sins of America and it was about abortion and stuff. It was this really intense song and my kids were very young and being a homeschool mom, I'm free to do whatever I want with their education. So I'm like, we're going to play this song, and this is going to be our Bible time. And I mean, it's like maybe a five or six minute song. God blew up in our living room. I had kids prostrate on the floor. I'm talking five years old, eight years old, prostrate on the floor, worshiping God. Caitlin ends up having encounters about feeling what it's like to be aborted in the womb and having an encounter of knowing that God is grieved when babies are being killed and stuff. And it was just me hearing this one song and knowing that God said, this is a song I want you to play for your kids today. And I played it, and it's one of those moments we all remember. We all remember. We all got something different from it. And that Bible class in my little homeschool world ended up being like 45 minutes. It blew up, and it wasn't me making it 45 minutes. It was God showed up and hovered over my children, and they experienced God. And they had, now they had capacity. Look, you can go 45 minutes. Now, again, that could turn into legalism. you got to be careful. It's a slippery slope. 
We have to fight to play with our kids too and enjoy them. We have to fight for relationship with our children. If you make everything about the do's and don'ts, you're going to become religious. You're going to be like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the 600 and something rules. God didn't give us 600 and something rules. The Jews did. Okay? He wants us to live in freedom. He wants us, he wants to know that he enjoys us and the things that we do. We need to enjoy our kids and the things that they do. We need to play with them. We need to have relationship with them. And then that's when you're having relationship and you're living life with them and you're living experience. God's just going to come out. God's going to come out in those moments. Okay. Um, It's also a good idea as a family unit to come up with a vision. Just like we have our mission statement here and our vision. It's great to have that in each family because each family here might have a different mandate and a different calling from the Lord, a different assignment. You guys, you are in his kingdom. If you have said yes to him, you're in his kingdom. You're his soldier. Your feet are on the ground. You should be doing something that he wants you to do. I don't know what that is. We're all different. Ask him. This is a way to even start your family altar times. Okay, kids, let's, let's ask God what our mandate is. Let's ask God what our assignment is right now. Let, let's ask him what he wants you to do in school, Aiden Zook. Let's see what he wants you to do. We ask God, and he will answer. And he will give your family a vision. He will give your family a direction. He's very good at when he calls you, he equips you. He shows you how. He gives you the steps. You're not doing this by yourself. Okay, song, song is huge. I can never get away. I love the book of Revelations, and there's worship going on in, in heaven all the time. It never stops. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is worship going on all the time. You just look at Jesus and you're falling and casting your crowns. You're like, wow, I worked hard for this crown. And no, it, Jesus is worthy. You're throwing it down on the ground. Worship, worship needs to be a part of your home. And again, worship does not have to just be music. Okay, you might have kids that are bent to dance. You might have kids that do like music. You might have kids that like to sing. You might have kids that like to bang on a drum. And it might drive you crazy. Let them bang on the drum. Even if you set a timer, because you can only take so much or have them. Sometimes when Alex was learning the banjo, we're like, you got to do that outside. It's nice out today. Go outside because you get a little, you know, after a while. Sing scripture. Psalms are easy to turn into songs. Sometimes you take one line and you just give one line to a kid and you say, can you make this a song? And they can. They can make it a song. They can be so in tune to what God's saying to them. Sing your thankfulness. Have fun with it. Make yourself a musical one night at dinner. Say, we're going to just sing. We're going to sing God's praises at the dinner table tonight. Let's sing what we're thankful about today. And everybody has to sing a line. It can be fun. Do things that your family likes to do. Do things that they enjoy to do and bring God into it. He loves that. Okay, I love to sing. I know not everybody... um, speaks in tongues or has a prayer language, but it's something that has built me up hugely is just praying in tongues, but I love to sing in tongues. And it's something I really miss because at IHOP KC, we corporately would sing in tongues. And you would just feel a change in the atmosphere when that happened. So there's times that's what I'll do. Like kids are driving me nuts. I'm like, okay, it's time to sing in tongues because I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. So there's times to just you know, use your gifts. 
Use your gifts. Stir things up. Let your kids hear it. Let your kids hear what you're doing because that's helping them build things up in them as well. Okay, reading the word is another thing that has to happen. There's a statistic that only 19% of Americans today actually read their Bible outside of church. Only 19%. This is our bread. This is our life. This is our source. We have to teach our children to taste and see that the Lord is good in the word. And you know what? It's okay to say, you know what? This might be boring to you right now, but keep going after it. Keep digging. Because when you dig, treasure's found. When you dig, a well comes out. And you impress upon your children to keep going after it. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Prophetic encouragement is another one. You just teach your kids to pray and listen to God. They can do it. I did it with the kids downstairs. Some of them never heard of the word prophecy before. I put a quarter in one person's hand. Eyes were closed. I put a dime in another person's hand. I said, I want you to pray for the person that has the quarter and ask God what he's saying to the person holding the quarter. I want you to pray for the person holding the dime and ask God what he's saying. Every kid wrote something down. And I tell you what, the socks were knocked off of those people holding the quarter and the dime. You can do that. Make a game of it. Have fun with it. Ask God how to do this. He loves to reveal his secrets. He loves to tell us how to do things. He loves for us to talk to him. He loves for us to hear him. Okay, it's, it's, this is all working a muscle in the parents as well as in the kids. So we have to work these muscles. We have to go after it. We have to pursue this. We have to pursue slowing down. That can be hard enough right then and there. Right, Becky? Right, Nikki? Sometimes we have to tell each other to stop because we're just in a circle. We have to slow down. We have to listen to God. We have to encourage one another. We have to know each other well enough to know, like, when Nikki is in a code purple season, she might need a lot more extra prayer. Her husband might need a lot more extra prayer. Her kids might need a lot more extra prayer. That's my family. I don't want anything to happen to them when they're on watch. That code purple season, they're on watch. They're on mandate. They're on assignment. We need to be supporting that. We're family. We need to know what's going on in each other's business so we can help one another out. We need to know what's going on in our kids' life so we can help out our, our, our friends' kids. You know, we don't want to be ashamed of what our kids are doing or not doing. We need to be real with one another and we need to help each other grow in these things. We need to engage our children in praying for healing. That's an easy one, really. Kids get hurt all the time. Turn to prayer first. It's okay to put a band-aid on it. It's okay if the headache doesn't go away to take Tylenol. But pray first. You know, in other countries, there's so many miracles that happen. And it's not because they're more spiritual than us. It's because they don't have any other dependent, any other dependencies. They have nothing else to run to. There's no props. They go to God first. So something we pursue You know, I can pray for somebody. I heard this one time, somebody said, I can pray 99 times that somebody will be raised from the dead. Might never happen. But he goes, that hundredth time, what if that person's up? You keep going after it. You pray. You have faith to believe. If it's in this Bible, we had um, Eric Reeder who's here last week, and his son was downstairs in our 
class, and he wanted to share a testimony about this man that got teleported in an airport. He went to an airport, and the next thing you know, he was in a different country. And as soon as he said it, I could feel unbelief in the room. And so I stopped him, and I said, that's interesting. And I said, I think there's people in this room that don't believe you. So then I told them the story about Philip, the eunuch, who was teleported, and Jesus, who was on the road to Emmaus, talking to these guys, opening their eyes, stirring them up, and then was gone. I said, so you know what? Teleportation happened here. It can happen here. And then you felt a little shift in the atmosphere. Okay? So you have to take those moments to stir up faith, to stir up belief. You know, it might never have happened to you. You might be a little bit skeptical, but you have to, that's another reason why you have to eat this. Because if you don't know what's in here, you're not going to know what to back up and what not to back up. Okay? Okay, so, and sharing testimony just like that, you must share with your kids. Even if you've had an ugly past, you know, of course it's age, age appropriate. And that's, again, relationship with the Holy Spirit, knowing when your kids need to know something. But sometimes you have to expose yourself, even to your kids or to your friends' kids, because what you have gone through or what you have might be something that's going to be so powerful to unlock them and to open them up. So we have to be willing to share our testimony. We have to be willing to share the gospel. We have to be willing to even ask God, God, is there somebody in Walmart today that needs, needs even a, I like your smile. God's pleased with you. Simple. They might think you're crazy. Just keep walking. God, you just drop something in their spirit that God can use. There's, there's opportunity. We ask God for those opportunities. We start teaching our children. Ask God for a friend to, for you to pray for. A friend that you have that you know is going through a hard time or a friend that you know that needs Jesus. Ask him for opportunity to reveal the gospel to him. And it might not be preaching. It might not be preaching the word. It might be loving them. It might be giving them uh, your snack for the day out of your lunchbox. I don't know. Listen, teach your children to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to his voice. So that's what, how I'm going to end, I guess, because I know it's getting late. So, I guess I'll pray, dismiss. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who's real, that you are a God who cares, you're a God who loves. Lord, you're a God of justice as well, though. Lord, you are so good. You are so worthy of our time and attention, our devotion, our affection. Lord, we just ask that you would breathe afresh on each family here, on our children our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in fullness. Lord, we pray for creative ideas in our homes on how to build altars, how to build time with you, how to build those opportunities, those experiences. Lord, help our children's capacity to be stretched in you, God. Help our capacity to be stretched in you, God. We should be continually growing in the knowledge of Christ into the head, into the fullness of God. So, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord. We just ask that you would bless each family here as we release them into their week. I pray that each one would run the race hard this week, God, and be as they run the race hard, they'd be filled even more full, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.